Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate you being here. Great interview for you today. I am interviewing Rich Fields. Now, you may uh, you may not know him by name, but you very well might. But you certainly know him if you know in the in the mid two thousands you ever turned on your TV and and uh, were home during the the workday and listened to The Price Is Right. Rich is um, an announcer for The Price Is Right, the announcer for The Price Is Right um, in the in the mid two thousands. Um, really interesting story about how he. Grew up wanting to be the announcer on The Price is Right. That's something that just shocked me that it was really his lifelong dream from a kid. So to have that dream realized was just is a cool thing. Um, we, we talk about uh, how he got the job. Uh, we talk about uh, working with Bob Barker. He worked uh, with Bob Barker his last three years as the host, uh, obviously the legendary host of The, the Price is Right, um, hosted it for 35 years. He retired in his in his. Uh, mid 80s and Drew Carey took over back in 2007 he worked um, with Drew Carey for another three years uh, we're going to talk about you know just his his life as a, a game show announcer on on a really uh, legendary game show uh, we're going to talk about you know what it was like working with such a legendary game show host uh, the transition working with Drew and then uh, at the end, we're also going to talk about what he's doing now um, with a an organization called the Moving Families Initiative. Really cool thing. Helps uh, people who are going through a move. Um, so without further ado, we got a lot to cover today. Here is my interview with Rich Fields. I am here today with Rich Fields. Rich, how are you? I'm good, Jackson. Jackson Huff, come on down. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> well, you're kind of already giving away what, who you are. But... Yeah, here's another crowd please. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. How about a new car? <laughs> I, I like it. I like, you, ne- you, just, you never lose the, the announcer voice, I don't think. Uh, well, you know, that's the way they wanted it, Jackson. They wanted it. They, wanted, they didn't want a parody of Johnny. They didn't want a parody of Rod. They wanted it in a certain cadence and old school uh, style. Even when I joined in 2004, that's exactly what they wanted. I said, really, can't I just do this like me? You know, a new car, you know, no, we (laughs) want you to meld Johnny and Rod and, and, you know, somehow channel that and bring it through. And so a new car, you know, that's how it happened. I like it. Do you ever, do you ever annoy your family by bringing that out? You know, Come on down to the living room. <laughs> no, you know, it's no, <laughs> they're sick and tired of hearing it all. So, I, uh, but I still get people, you know, neighbors. I just did it for a neighbor recently, uh, uh, today, the earlier this morning, actually, walking the dog around the cul de sac. And uh, they said, Hey, did you know that the price is right live is coming to Clearwater? I said, Oh, no, I, you know, I, I didn't know, you know, and they said, Oh, we can't wait to get out. We can't wait to get out. And, and I was like, Oh, you know, good, good for you. Have fun. And they were like, you know, are they going to call names? Like, you know, you did, can you call my name? You know? And, and so I had to, you know, yeah. I had to do it. So <laughs> you can't not do it. Rod Roddy used to deny folks. They'd see him in a, an airport and they, Oh God, Rod Roddy, call me down. My name's 
Jackson Huff. And he'd be like, you know, no, I, I, you know, I've got a plane to catch him. And when I heard that story over and over and over again from contestants on the prices, right? Repeated contestants. on the price, I thought, man, I can't do that. I don't care how old I am. I don't care how long I've been off the show. If somebody stops me in an airport and says, oh my God, Rich, you know, my name's Jackson Huff. Can you call me on down? Jackson Huff, come on down. You know, I, just do it for him, man. Right. Just do it for him. Right. And, you know, with, with some of those type of things, I feel like now I, I completely understand why people just get tired of doing it, but it does sometimes take longer just to you know, explain why to you're not going it, to do it. Then yeah. to just do it and get it done. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I've heard, I've heard people not necessarily with this, but like with that are music artists that are like one hit wonders that, you know, some people hate playing their, their big song. And I heard one say, which it makes sense. Like, why? I don't understand why people are like that. Why do you hate playing your big song? Your uh, that song is what made you your your kids go to college. So yeah, it's your bread and butter for crying out loud. It paid your mortgage, <laughs> bought your home. You know, Ugh, I just don't get it. Right, right. Well, I'll tell you, you you kind of you grabbed the hold right in the beginning, but let's kind of go all the way back to the very beginning. Talk a little bit about Rich Fields growing up and and how that shaped, I guess, who you became. Well, my dad, uh, there's two older brothers above me, uh, a younger sister below me, but he told all four of us as we grew up, hey, you guys, you know, uh, don't be like your dad. I mean, in later years, he had a great job, but he said, don't be like your dad. Don't, you know, don't do manual labor all your life. Make your money with your mouth, not your back. Boy, if I heard one quote of my dad's my entire life was make your money with your mouth, not your back. Right. Yeah. And you, you kind of mentioned, you know, you, you did radio for a, a great many years, meteorology, and then of course announcing, how did this all, how did this all the, the timeline of, of your radio and meteorology and then announcing, I know you went back to meteorology after, um, you know, the, the show, I believe, but tell us just a little bit about your, your radio and meteorology beginning. Well, you know, Jackson, I was the kind of guy that um, on Sunday mornings, I would turn on, at least where, that's where it aired in, in my market, Cleveland, I would turn on Casey Kasem's American Top 40. And I was, I was a religious uh, listener of uh, Casey's American Top 40. And, hmm. and so, you know, I grew up listening to broadcasters like that. I, I always thought, God, I want to do that someday. And so with that in my ears and head, and then, you know, television, uh, I was born in 1960. So not that I've seen it all in television, but, you know, as far as, as far as the growth of TV, I mean, 1960 on, that was it. It exploded. Game shows. And so that really, really caught my eye. And um, Bob Barker, Truth or Consequences, that was, like, that was like my favorite show of all time. And I might be dating myself and, and, and folks might be like, you know, what the heck is he talking about? But, you know, it was Bob's first nationally syndicated show and, and uh, truth and all consequences. I mean, I'd imitate the guy, the announcer guy coming out. And I thought Bob was slick and cool. And then when he got prices right, oh, man, that was my favorite show of all time. I, I never really watched when Bill Cullen hosted the show. But boy, when the Bob Barker version came around in the uh, early 70s, uh, I was hooked and I was like, I am working on that show. Mm. And my mom, I, I used to say in interviews, my mom has a VHS tape of me holding her black hairbrush saying, come on down in front of the TV. 
But I've since I've gotten back to Florida, I've checked with mom. She doesn't know where it went. My dad passed away in 09. She don't know what he did with it. But honestly, there used to be videotape of me standing in front of the TV in Cleveland, Avon, Ohio, with her black hairbrush, like a microphone going, a new car, as just like knee high to a grasshopper. So I always wanted to work there. Hmm. And it was just tunnel vision to get there. That, and that's, that's really cool. That's a cool story where, I mean, honestly, when, when, because I was going to ask you about, you know, how the whole thing happened and I, I still will, but I, I figured that it was going to be something more like, you know, there was a, there was a, a posting, you know, where my agent said something about it and I was like, Oh, well, not might at as all. well, but no, it was not it was at all something that you had, had really envisioned, which I think kind of just goes to show too. Um, cause I've talked to other people like it in, in voice acting and stuff. And, and, you know, they mentioned that, you know, it, it's gotta be something if you really want to get into entertainment, because getting into entertainment is pretty much impractical and it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but if you just have that passion that you, know, you have to do it, if it's something that you think, Oh, that might be cool. Don't do it. But if it's something that you've been doing since you were a kid and you've been practicing forever, then maybe it's something that you, that you should do. And it sounds, sounds like that's the case here. Absolutely. I, I made it happen. Certainly, I didn't make the death of Rod Roddy happen. I knew that the guy had the job for life. I knew Johnny had the job for life. I knew Rod had the job for life. Um, it was a matter of, honest to God, waiting them out and doing everything I could to fill in the resume so that when there was a vacancy, I was going to be one of the top guys in contention. And um, I mean, I started that with a radio broadcasting career that I talked about. Um, and, and then every step throughout my entire life was, is this step going to get me to Hollywood and get a game show? Is this step going to get me the prices right? And things like, you know, um, I was living here in Florida as a kid and uh I was going to the University of Florida and then the state of Florida announces they're going to do their own lottery game show. And I didn't even know at the time who its producers were, but I said, I, I got to get this show. I got to, I got to either one be the host or two be the announcer. But um, the production company called me back and I'll never forget the day this production person calls me up on the phone and they said, hi, Rich. I said, yeah, I thought this was the callback back actually for the host job. Uh, this is so-and-so from Mark Goodson Productions. Um, had no idea Mark Goodson was producing this local Florida lottery game show. I was like, oh my God, they're, they're going to give me a callback, you know? Uh, look, you know, we've made our decision concerning the hosts of the show. You know, we've hired a, a, a guy and a girl. But um, Mr. Goodson liked your audition tape for the announcer. Would you be interested in being the announcer of the Florida lottery's Flamingo Fortune? And I was like, Yes. And so anyway, I get the Florida Lottery's Flamingo Fortune. I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm entrenched in a Goodson game show. Um, Bill Todman had died already, so it wasn't no longer a Mark Goodson, Bill Todman show. It was a Mark Goodson show. And I thought, wow, here I, I'm really filling in the chinks on my resume, man. I've got a Mark Goodson game show. I'm, I'm, I'm Hollywood bound, you know. And, and to me, it was a beginning. And that's exactly what it ended up being. Yeah, no, that that's that's cool. So I guess if we can fast forward a little bit past the that first game show, the the Florida Lottery, how did it happen that that you went on and and did the Price Is Right? 
Well, everybody in my life, I don't care who they are. You can ask old girlfriends. You can ask people from grade school, high school, certainly my mom and dad and brothers and sisters. Everyone in my life that knows me well knows I wanted to do The Price is Right. I wanted to be on The Price is Right, not as a contestant. I wanted to work with Bob Barker. And my dad took me to the show when I was 18 years, uh, excuse me, I was 17, wasn't even old enough to get in. We snuck in, this is, this is out there, this is common knowledge to TPIR fans. We snuck in the back gate of CBS. My dad was always hook and crook. He was always just a really good talker. And um, we snuck in the back gate of CBS and we're walking around the back halls of Television City and you know, those massive hallways, I'm sure you've seen them on the internet, or maybe you've been there in person where all the set pieces are and everything. And, and there were prices, right? Set pieces in the hallway. And today was that day was taping day. And I was like, oh my God, dad, I said, the show is taping today. These are all the, this is the big wheel. This is the, I'm, oh my God. Well, here comes this California gaming official. And they're like badge carrying cops. And they're like, hey, you know, what are you doing here? And uh, who are you? You know, we didn't have any kind of badges on or anything, any kind of, you know, stickers from the front door, nothing. And, and uh, how'd you get in here? And my, my dad said, oh, we just came through the back gate over here by, you know, we had lunch at, at the Grove and walked through, you know, and they're like, oh my God, you can't be back here. Uh, uh, 21260 Mary 3, uh, we got two backstage here. The prices, uh, uh, We need producers back here now, you know, and we we're like, oh my God, what did we do, you know? Here comes Kathy Greco, one of the producers of Price is Right. She comes back, so she got a clipboard, walkie-talkie. She's like, oh, my gosh, who, who are you people? What are you doing back here? Uh, all the prices, Jackson, were on the stuff. You know, all the reveals were open. You know, how the model flips down the thing. Oh, ding, 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 ding. You're right. They were all open. I mean, I, we could have written down anything <laughs> and, and, and either told somebody in the audience waiting to be there or have, or have gotten into the audience and and, 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 and cheated, but that's not what we were there for, but that's what they were worried about. So Kathy Greco realizes <clears throat> we're just, you know, a couple of rubes from Avon, Ohio, <laughs> who snuck in the back gate. And when she saw my affinity for the show, my absolute passion and love for the show, she was like, well, there's only one thing we can really do here. We can't let you leave because the gaming officials are afraid that somehow you're going to tell somebody in the show what's up. You have to stay, both you and your dad. You have to stay. I'm going to let you sit with us over on the producer's table, stage right of the prices right during the show. The, the, the gaming officials want to keep an eye on you guys that you're not hand signaling anyone. You know, you're not going to be within uh, eye shot of anybody in the audience. There's going to be curtains in the way, you know, but you're going to get to see the show. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> excellent, you know? Yeah. But when it came down to it, the gaming officials didn't like that we were back there on the producer's table because at the producer's table is a lot of info. Again, you know, that they didn't want anybody to see. So they finally came to this uh, uh, idea that, well, let's put them in the back row. Nobody can see them. You know, everybody's yelling out stuff. It's okay if they yell. Nobody can see them going, you know, giving hand signs or anything. Let's put them in the back row. Let's keep an eye on them there and, and let them watch from there. So we did. We got to sit in the back row of the prices right at the age of 17, a year younger than you're allowed to even be in the studio and see the show. And it was during the warm up of that show 
when uh, you know the, the the lights go down, the music comes up, and you hear somebody, a disembodied voice, say, "Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the announcer of the Price Is Right, Johnny Olson, the original guy." And I said to my dad, I said, "Oh my God, that was Johnny introducing himself. How rank is that?" I, and I said to my dad, "When I get the job, somebody else is going to introduce me." So Johnny comes running out to Disco Inferno by the tramps. Dun, 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 dun. And he danced and he did his whole warm up. And at the end of it, he says, I'm about to introduce Mr. Barker. Does anybody have any questions out there? And I raised my hand in the back, Jackson. I said, yeah, Johnny, how do I get your job? <laughs> Swear to God. And he said, uh, oh, you, oh, you think you can do my job, kid? Come on up here. Should we bring him up, everybody? And the audience was screaming, yeah, yeah, come on up here. So I, I ran up there, man. Uh, and Johnny hands me the microphone. He says, all right. He says, use my name. Let's hear what you got. Call me on down. You, is everybody ready for this? And he got the audience all whipped up. He hands me the microphone. I took the mic. I said, Johnny Olson, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. And the crowd went berserk. <laughs> oh, oh Jackson. That, to me, I mean, it was like a musician playing their song for the first time in front of people who appreciated it. It was like, kaboom. I was like, I have got to do this the rest. I knew I wanted to do this. I have to do this now the rest of my life. And he says, oh, that, that was pretty good. Give me back that microphone, kid, before Mr. Barker hears you backstage. Now go sit down. <laughs> go on, go, go, go sit down, get out of here. And everybody's laughing. And, and Johnny was, Johnny said, one day you're going to see him up here. That's, that is, that's, that's just something. That's a story to, for sure. I, it's almost unfathomable that it happened the way that it did. So that's really, really cool. That's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, what I would ask too, I don't know exactly the, the timelines, but given that you were so set on this, where, I mean, what were you doing? Where were you when um, Johnny oh. passed away and, and then Rod took over? Well, when Johnny passed away, I was still a young man. I mean, the, everything, you know, was still too far out of any kind of career to really think I had a shot. Um, but I know exactly where I was the day Rod Roddy died. Um, mm. I told my agent, uh, who was my radio agent at the time, I said, look, Paul, I said, um, can you get me a TV job in California? TV? I, I'm a radio guy. I said, yeah, but it doesn't matter, man. I said, you know, you're a talker, you're an agent. You can, you can call these people and tell them that I want to come. I am, I am, I am coming. Tell them I am coming. And there's no, they don't have to pay moving fees, nothing. I'm coming. Do they need anybody? And do they need them, you know, soon? And so he started calling around. He started calling all these stations in Southern California. Cause I told him, I said, Paul, I want to be within driving distance of LA so I can audition. Number one, so I can be seen by the market, maybe, you know, in some, some outer lying area. I, I didn't expect to get L.A. right away, certainly. So we he found me a gig at a CBS affiliate in uh, Palm Springs, California. And I had been there um, about a year and a half, two years uh, when, when Rod Roddy passed away. And here's how it happened. I was the 5, 6, and 11 o'clock uh, nighttime weatherman. And um, everybody in the newsroom. Like as the days wore on, people were calling me at home over the weekend. Hey, my God, did you hear Rod Roddy? The Price is Right passed away. Because everybody that knew me knew I wanted Price is Right. So I called the Price is Right the next Monday and um, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I watched the credits of the Price is Right that day and it said executive producer Roger Dobkowitz, Bob Barker. 
And uh, I called CBS Television City and I asked for the Prices Right production offices, finally got them. And I said, hi, Roger Dobkowitz, please. They didn't even ask who I was or anything. And they said, hang on. And I thought certainly I'd get, you know, secretary and hi, Roger. And I said, I wasn't even ready, man. I was like, I, I couldn't even believe that he picked up the phone. I said, hi, Roger. I said, you don't know me from a hole in the wall, but my name's Rich Fields. I'm a broadcaster. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Mark Goodson. I'm a former Mark Goodson employee. Boom, because Roger came from the old days of Mark Goodson, Bill Todman, and I immediately clicked with him. He, I said, I, I, I've done a game show in Florida, the Florida Lottery's Flamingo Fortune. I understand Rod has passed away. I know how production is. I, I, I don't want to be morbid or anything, but I do want you to know that if you need somebody to step in right away, I, I, I'd love to come audition for you and, and uh, do something with you on the prices. Right? He was like, oh, wait a minute. I've gotten over 200 phone calls and tapes already today from agents. He said, look, you know, I'm just going to tell you, uh, submit your stuff, you know, like everybody else. And I thought, oh, boy, you know, man, that was it. So I did. I submitted a tape of, I said, what do you want to hear me on the radio, like a disc jockey or stuff from uh, the Flamingo Fortune? He was like a little bit of both. So I did. I, I sent him off something in like two weeks, Jackson went by. I didn't hear anything. And um and then I did, uh, he calls up, he says, hi, Rich, it's Roger Dobkowitz at the Price is Right. I say, hey, Roger, Roger has a very unique and distinctive voice. I'm not making fun of him when I'm doing him, but anybody that knows Roger, they're like, oh my God, that's Roger. So uh, he said, you know, uh, we went through your tape and your resume and we'd like to take this to the next level. And I said, wow, I said, what's that? He goes, well, uh, I'm going to send you a script from The Price is Right out there to Palm Springs. I want you to get some production time. I want you to remove Rod. I'm going to send you the tape from the show, too. I want you to remove Rod Roddy's voice, put your voice in, and send it back. And immediately, I thought, how am I going to get this done? I'm a radio guy. I don't have any conduit to TV production video at all. But I was like, done. <laughs> I sent it back. Jackson, again, you know, three days goes by, seven days goes by, 10 days goes by. 14 days goes by and I thought, well, I even told my wife as after two weeks, I was like, gosh, honey, phone rings again. Hi, Rich, it's Roger Dabkowitz. The price is right. We got your tape. Um, Mr. Barker listened to it. Uh, I listened to it. Uh, and, and we'd like to take this to the next level. <laughs> I said, what's that? And he says, we'd like you to have you come in and do a week on the air with Mr. Barker. Oh my God, I couldn't believe it. My head about exploded. I, and he says, uh, I said, when? He said, and this was like, this was like on a Thursday or Friday of the week. He said, Monday. I said, okay, I'll be there. He said, but aren't you on the air out there in Palm Springs? You know, Monday? I said, uh, Roger, I am. I'll fix that, but I will be at the prices right Monday morning. We take Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays at the Price is Right, two shows a day. I said, I will be there. I said, is it just Monday shows? Is it one show Monday? He says, oh, no, both. And I said, oh, okay. And he goes, well, well, not just Monday. You're going to do the whole week. You're going to do six shows, actually. You're going to do two Monday, two Tuesday, two Wednesday. I said, oh, my God. And these are going to air? <laughs> he said, well, yes, they are. I was like, I can't believe it. I go to the Price is Right. I do this audition. First day's done, two shows, the studio's dark. I'm at my little announcer's podium with a little light, you know, and on the script because I had a couple pickups to do. I was so nervous. I flubbed a couple of lines, so we're going to pick them up after the show. 
audience is gone, studio's dark, not a soul on stage. And here I am, you know, with my headphones on, my little, you know, little microphone, you know, sitting over to me. And, and you're like, all right, Rich, page 13, you know, uh, paragraph five, pick it up right after uh, Love of the Etagere. This lovely Etagere has, you know, and I started doing these pickup lines and everything. So I get through the whole show, get it all done. And the, the booth upstairs says, okay, you're, you're done, man. That's it. And, and I said, uh, okay. And I looked around. Like I said, there's nobody there. Nobody said good job. Nobody said crappy job. Nobody said do this tomorrow. Don't do that. Not one bit of criticism. And I knew I had to go back to the hotel, digest everything that just happened, mind exploding, working with Bob Barker for two shows. You know, it's crazy when the camera's on and you're on CBS and, and Bob goes, Rich, what's the next name on your list? And they take that shot. It's like, oh my God, this out of body. It's out of body experience. You almost, for, I almost forgot where I was and what I was supposed to say. You wouldn't know by looking back at the show, but I was like, oh my God, in my head, oh my God, Bob Barker's talking to me. Bob, it's going to be Jackson Huff. Come on down and just right on. And oh, it was just crazy. And then the next morning, boom, 8 30, 9 o'clock, you're right back into production meetings again and two more shows and the grind. I loved it. I loved it. I ate it up, man. I couldn't wait to do another day. So three days of taping goes by, pickups are done. You know, my little studio light goes off, boom, boom, black, you know, and I'm like, wow, I'm the only one here. Again, no criticism, no nothing, a whole week's worth of shows and nobody said a word to me. I thought I must've sucked. I'm driving home, I'm on, <laughs> I'm on I-10 heading from LA back to Palm Springs. I called my wife, she goes, how did it go? I said, I have no idea. I think I suck. What do you, why do you say that? I said, because nobody, Nobody said anything, man. Well, Jackson, let me tell you something. If you're expecting anybody in Hollywood to say anything about your performance, you are sorely mistaken, my friend. And so I didn't, I had no clue. And I was really shook. So I go back to Palm Springs. I'm back on the air at CBS2 doing weather. Week goes by, two weeks goes by. By the way, there are other, I'm seeing other guys on the air on, in the morning on Price is Right. And I'm like, oh, geez, you know, honey. Oh my God. There's so-and-so, you know, there's MG Kelly. There's, uh, Oh, I am out. <laughs> Are you listening to these people and thinking, Oh, they're doing so much better. Or are you like, nah, this is some, some, some yes. Yeah. Some I'm like, where did they get this hack from? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But some I'm like, Oh my God, you know, I'm going to compete against these guys, you know? And a few weeks went by and all these guys are auditioning. Like I think in total, before auditions were over, I think seven guys actually got on the air with Bob out of hundreds, literally hundred. I saw the boxes in Roger Dodkowitz's office full of resumes and tapes from age hundreds. And um, I'm in the newsroom. It's five minutes to six. It's like a repeat of the first day that my wife told me Rod had passed away. I got my IFB in my ear. The, the camera's on me. They're going to come to me for this opening tease. The phone rings on my desk, like four minutes to six. And I thought, okay, I, whoever it is, I, I can get this over with. I said, hi, it's Rich. And it was my wife. And she said, Roger Dodkowitz just called the house. He wants you to call him right away. He's leaving with his family. He won't be at the house the rest of the weekend. He needs you to call him right now. I said, okay. I looked up at the clock, three minutes to six. 
I dialed the phone. I said, hi, Roger, Rich Fields. Hi, Rich, how are you? I said, I, I, I'm great, Roger. <laughs> just getting ready to go on the air out here in Palm Springs. He said, well, I, real quick, just one question for you. How would you like to be the announcer the price is right? And, and I said, well, of course I would, Roger. I mean, that's why I'm going through all this. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm offering you the job. Have you ever fainted, Jackson? Uh, I don't believe I have, no. I had never fainted to this point in my life. I didn't go all the way down, but I said, Roger? He's like, yes, are you still there? I said, yeah. I, I said, I, I almost fainted. I can't believe what you just said. He said, well, welcome to The Price is Right. Mr. Barker's very pleased to have you, and so am I. It makes me emotional to think about it because it changed my life. I mean, so in my IFB now, I hear the director of CBS2 counting down. Here we go. 15, everybody. Stand by. 10. We're, we're losing the live shot from the newsroom with Rich. I take that back. We're losing the live shot from the newsroom with the new announcer, The Price is Right, Trish. Uh, Eric, stand by. Here we go. Three, two, one. Da -da 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 -da. The news started. I'm Eric Sandoval, and I'm Trish, Trish O'Shea. And the news started. And I still had the phone. I was like, I, I was like, they had heard everything I said on the phone through my microphone in the in the in the control room in the in the newsroom, and and they heard the entire conversation with Roger, and they knew that I had just gotten offered this job and I was gone. It was just life changing. Yeah, life changing. That's I mean, like winning the lottery. I can only yeah. imagine what it'd be like to win the lottery. This was it. This was it. Yeah, I. That's just such an amazing story. Like like I've already said, I just feel like there's probably so many people that have some of these announcing jobs. Could be wrong, but just ha you know, it's okay. I got this gig, and let's move on to the next one. But just that you. We're so, I guess, invested for so long in, in getting that role. I, I can't imagine how that felt. That had to be just crazy. Lifelong dream come true. How yeah. many times do people get to say that? I yeah. feel like I'm tearing up. I got so emotional. Yeah. Well, I like I it. Look. That's, well, that's that. Just uh, but we thank your... Christine and I, we thank Bob Barker in, in, a, in a prayer at dinner every night uh, because everything we have, uh, I mean, I had to work for it. I had to put in the time <laughs> to do the work, but yeah. uh, that Hollywood money is just network Hollywood money, I should say. Not all Hollywood money, but that network Hollywood money, <sighs> life-changing. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm sure of that. So tell us just a little bit about, you know, your, your time on The Price is Right. Um, how, first, how long were you, you there? Um, better part of a decade. I did about... I did over six years in total, and it comes to about seven seasons, if, you know, the way things work out TV-wise, you know, because um, TV shows always start in the fall and then end, you know, late spring, early summer. So they overlap a little bit. So I did about three, four years with Mr. Barker and another three with Drew. Right, right. Well, so so you're, I know that obviously you're, you're, deep uh, affection and affinity for, for Bob Barker. So I guess the, the, the question I would have in those first few years was being the announcer for the Price is Right, everything that you, you thought it would be. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. Um, I forget the timing. It was a rap party. So it must have been, it must have been at the close of my first 
at the end of my first season, which was actually the last half of season 32, the last half of, of, of a season Rod had begun and then passed away. So it was the end of season 32. You know, they always have a rap party for shows. And Mr. Barker is going to speak in front of everybody. And um, they give him a microphone and the room's quiet and everything. And, and he says, Rich, where's Rich? Rich Fields, come on up here. Come here. Come here. And so I go up next to Bob and, and Bob's and Bob, by the way, at this point in his career had only been signing one year deals. And it was tenuous every year. Everybody was on pins and needles as to whether or not Bob was going to stay another year. Give us another year, Bob. another year, another year. The days of three-year deals were way behind him. Five, 10-year deals, way long behind him. He was thinking about checking out. And uh, so we're at this rap party and he's got the microphone. And he's Rich Fields, come on up here. And so I, I go up to him and he puts his arm around me. I've got photographs of this as well. As, as he gives this little speech and he says, I want everyone in this room to know that since this gentleman came here and I was able to see his enthusiasm, his joy, his love for this show, it has reinvigorated me. And I want everyone in this room to know that because of this new energy on The Price is Right, I've just signed a three-year deal with Fremantle Media and CBS to stay on and the place exploded. I was thrilled, not because he said I was, I was a part of his reasoning, but I was afraid that, okay, I'd done my last half of season 32, Rod's last year. Okay, this is it. Bob's probably going to leave. That was the talk the entire six months of my first year. And so for Bob to come out and say, I'm going to do another three years, I was, I was like, all right. I'm not just going to be able to say I work with Bob Barker, you know, but hey, man, I'm going to put in some time with Bob Barker. I'm going to learn from the master. Tell us just a little bit about working with Bob Barker, because I mean, I do think that there's maybe a, a reputation that he was a, a bit of a personality. So tell us just a little bit about that. And and obviously the joy that you had, but any kind of, I guess, truth behind some of the the other other thoughts. Bob Let's put it this way. Anybody in entertainment who's holding a host position has a huge personality, a strong personality, somebody that jumps off that camera into that screen and captivates people. To have that, you have to have something about you. And that something about you can sometimes rub people wrong, especially when you're not on. And by that, I mean... When you're on, on stage, when you're on, gregariousness and, 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 and hyper-personality is great. When you're not on and it's in a personal setting and you still have this gregarious personality, it can be intimidating. And when you're the executive producer of a long-running game show at this point, some 35 years when I had joined, there are so many moving parts. Bob is the executive producer. He's got to rule with an iron fist. And by that, I don't mean he's chopping heads, although heads would roll if it was warranted. And I mean really warranted. They wouldn't roll for just some nilly-willy reason. And so when I hear stories or, or, or people recanting that, oh, Bob, I hear he's difficult, or I hear he's this, that, the other, I could see how people would think that sometimes. And... I was only on the bad end of the stick one time in my life with Bob Barker. And it was as bad as if 
I was 10 years old and my dad was standing over me with a switch. I mean, it, it, it was the same God. I disappointed him, you know, Oh my God, you know, this is my job. Is this going to affect my job? You know, that kind of thing. So, so when people see this and they, they see Bob coming down on somebody and he never really would personally, unless it was just a knee jerk reaction and there was nobody else around to handle the situation, Bob would usually tell producers, Hey, in the first show this morning, blank, 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 tell the director, blankety blank. You know what I mean? Whatever. I don't know. I'm making things up, but then a producer would go take care of the problem. So when Bob would feel like the brevity of the situation was that he had to speak up right then and there, sometimes there's not time to be sweet and it can rub people wrong. Bob was great. Bob was one, is one of the most generous people I have ever met in my life. Um, hey, I found out that as long as you did your job with Mr. Barker, you were great. And you didn't have to worry about your job. And everyone that was there was expected to be there next year. And the year after that, and the year after that, they didn't change people out willy-nilly, like I said. So um, I get it. But God, he was nothing but a sweetheart to Christine and I. He, we love Bob. Every dinner we ever had with him out in Hollywood or over the house, over our place, I mean, just treasure, just gold. Uh, we'd be sitting there thinking, at least I would be. I know I'd talk to Christine later. I was like, you know, honey, we were at Antonio's. Bob's sitting there telling us a story about George Burns. All I could think of was, oh, my God. My wife and I are sitting in a Hollywood restaurant with Bob Barker. I just, I, you know, I'm years into it. I just, I still couldn't grasp the reality of it. It would just still blow me away. I just love him. It's, yeah, yeah. I, and it's, it's something it's, else. It's, He's something else. And it's, it's evident for sure. So tell us, I, I guess what it was like, you know, after those three years, you said you worked with him for three years. Um, so after that contract, I assume he decided that it was time to hang it up. And, and what was that like? Wow. That day, um, Bob came into the, to CBS television city and, um, he would always have his suits on hangers over his shoulder and he carried a, a Cubs a duffel bag. Um, he come walking in that day and, my dressing room was right across the hall from Bob's. He came in that day and he had his clothes over his arm and his cubs. He hadn't even been to his dressing room. That's how he knew. Uh, he knocked on my door. Boom, 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 boom. I said, come in. He said, hi, Rich. He says, you got a minute? I said, sure, Mr. Burke, let me come over. Cause I thought he wanted me in his dressing. He said, no, no. And he closed my dressing room door and he sat down next to me on this little couch. He actually sat on the uh, arm of it. And he said, I have something to tell you. And I want you to be one of the first to know. I said, okay. And I didn't feel good. And I was worried. And I was like, what? I thought maybe he was sick. He said, I'm leaving the prices right. And I, now I was sick. I was like, the thing we'd all dreaded for so long, you know, it was it. And he, he said, don't tell anybody else. I'm going to make an announcement to the entire staff. And I couldn't believe it. He walked out of the dressing room. I hugged him. I thanked him. And I said, why? Why now? And he put his clothes down, his bag down. And he said, Rich, he said, every morning I get up, it's all I can do to sling my legs over the side of the bed. My knees hurt so bad. My back is killing me. 
He said, and every day I got to muster the strength to come in here and be ready to be behind that door. You know, you see me walking around here. My shoulders are slumped. My back is bent. I walk slow. He said, but, you know, I hear you out there. Ladies and gentlemen, here's a star. The price is right. He said, he said, that's my cue. He said, if you were to have a camera back there, you'd see me. Bob Barker. And those doors open and he comes walking through, you know. He goes, you don't know what it's like to get there every day. To get to that point, to muster up and to stay there two shows a day, six days a week. He said, I just can't do it anymore. He said, I'm, I'm, the pain is killing me. And I, I refuse to take any of the stuff they want me to take. They've wanted me to take it for decades and I refuse to take it. He said, look, I hope it was enough for you. I was like, oh, my God, Mr. Barker. Absolutely, it was enough. I mean, thank you. Thanks for staying. Yeah. No, that's that's powerful. It really is. And I just, it, it kind of just strikes me that, I mean, he realized just, I guess, how important he was to the show and to, to last as long as he did and to put himself through what he did in order to, um, you know, give – give you and, and what everyone else in, in America that loved the show, what they, what they wanted. Um, I mean, that's, that's just shows, I guess, how much he, he cared about the show and how much he cared about the audience. So that's a, that's a really big thing. And at this point, how, how, I mean, how old was he? I mean, he definitely was not a, a, a young man. Well, he's what 96 now. Mm-hmm. And this was 11 years ago in 07. I take that back. Bob left in 07. Mm-hmm. So he's not a young man. I mean, you know, the average age of a male longevity here in the States is, uh, you know, 79, 80. You make it past 80, you're doing really good. And here he was like 86-ish already, 85, 86-ish, which he credits 100% to his being a vegan. His wife, Dorothy Joe got them uh, into vegetarianism in, in 80, I think, 1980. I think Dorothy Joe passed away in 85. I'd have to check on all the, these dates. But anyway, nonetheless... Um, after Dorothy Joe passed away, Bob went full vegan and he attributes his entire longevity and his, his good health, uh, for so many years to, 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 to that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he was no spring chicken when I got there in 2004. So, you know, it was a gift. The, the three and a half years with Bob was an absolute gift. I wanted to leave when Bob left. Well, I mean, just to kind of connect a, a dot, and I mean, we don't necessarily have to go into it if you don't want, but you, know, you were talking about, um, you know, your dream sometime of being a host. Was that, did that ever play a part when, when Bob left? Um, yes, it did, as a matter of fact. And um, they were ready, willing, and able to give me an audition to let me tape a show, but told me right up front, it's probably just going to be taped for you for another job because- Rich, we cannot take you off that announcer post. There's no way. We know you know every game by heart. We know you know every nuance of every single reveal. And so I kind of knew that going in and and um, and never did um, take them up on their offer to tape a show. I knew it was going to happen on the prices. Right. No, that makes sense. No, I, I mean, the, the, the whole story of, of your, your time with the Price is Right um, certainly a, a extremely happy one. And, and I'll tell you, it sounds like a, a happy one, even once, um, 
Bob Barker, Mr. Barker left. Um, I mean, I, I figured given that you, you left after your, you know, your next contract or a little after that, um, that you maybe didn't like the way it was going or you didn't like the new host, but it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like you became a no, good friend. And, so, so what did yeah, happen? And there's, 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 you know, I see stuff, I see stuff on the internet and, um, none of it's true. You know, um, it's, it's all BS. There was no burning of bridges. There was no animosity and parting of ways. Um, I've read stuff that, you know, uh, the executive producer at the time, a new guy uh, that had come in that he and I were at odds and couldn't work together. Um, a little bit of truth to that. I mean, we weren't best buddies, but I mean, we had a fine working relationship together, but to, for people to say, Oh, you know, they Richfield's got fired at the prices, right? I bet if you Google it, it's still up there. That for years that have been a thing said saying Rich Fields was fired from the prices right. And that is so far from the truth. It's pathetic. I mean, that's not what happened. It's not how it came down. I was, my contract was coming to an end. They were going to completely change the show. Now um, the new executive producer wanted to, he wanted the showcases to be kind of like a variety show. He wanted live bands to play uh, his grand idea was that he wanted Drew's improv buddies to be rotating announcers. I mean, I mean, he had all these uh, crazy, crazy ideas. And so for me, it was like, well, I don't want to be a part of that. And my contract's over anyway. It was good timing for everybody. Yeah. So what do you think? Uh, and, and this is, again, you don't have to answer any questions you don't want, but what do you think of, of the, the replacement announcer? George, George Gray. Yeah. Um, I, I think he does a fine job. I mean, obviously they love him. He's been there for the, for a decade or more. I'm sure he's not going any, well, I don't know. I, I, I did hear he had some uh, heart problems this past summer, but uh, I'm sure as long as George wants to be there, he'll be there. So I want to kind of move on to, to what you're doing now and what you did after the, the price is right. Um, you went back into to meteorology, right? Right. So uh, CBS finds out I'm leaving the prices right. And, um, CBS news reaches out to me, uh, knowing that I had a, uh, I had studied meteorology at Mississippi state university and I had my credentials, uh, with the national weather service and so forth. And they were like, Hey, look, um, I had told folks at Fremantle and CBS, the network that after leaving the prices, right, I was probably going to retire and go to Florida come back home to Florida. And so they, the folks at CBS News were like, hey, look, um, how would you like to come and be a weatherman at our two Los Angeles weather stations, KCBS and KCAL 9? And, you know, my wife and I, we weren't dead set on coming back to Florida and it was great timing. And I was like, sure, you know, let's do that. And, and in the course of another six years there, I, I mean, I just went right to the top, became their top nighttime weatherman in Los Angeles. For many, many, many years. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed my time doing weather at CBS in LA. And then you, you've, I guess, have, have moved on from that. You are back in Florida and you're working with uh, the Moving Families Initiative and the Moving Families Foundation. Tell us a little bit about both of those. Well, the Moving Families Foundation um, exists for one reason, and that's to help families and children who are going through a move. And with the 
you know, recent uh, deterioration of life since, you know, since the pandemic hit in early 2020, uh, moving is no longer something that many folks uh, do on their own. It's become a necessity, either dad or mom lost a job or dad or mom, you know, uh, are, 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 are need to leave town to go get another job someplace. I mean, there's still millions of folks going through this transition and changing their lives right now. So we're all about helping uh, families and children who are caught up in a move. And, and basically the way the foundation does that is by concentrating on children ages 19 and younger and helping them deal with the emotional and physical um, things that come about in a move. I'd moved 19 times so far in my lifetime, in my life, and it's never fun. And as a kid, I mean, you're uprooting everything, your, your friends, your school, your teachers, your coaches, everything. Uh, for a parent, it's one thing to consciously know in your head and make the decision, I'm going to do this for the best of my family. But for kids, it's completely different. So we try to help them out. We try to help them out with things like extracurricular activity scholarships. We'll pay for any extracurricular activity that child wants to do. I don't, and not just sports. If it's baking, we'll pay for it. Um, anything you can name, if it's an extracurricular activity that child wants to do outside of regular school hours, we'll pay for it. We have college scholarships for any student in high school who's going through a move. And it doesn't matter what year you are. It doesn't matter when it happens. Um, as a matter of fact, we consider a high schooler the day after you graduate eighth grade. So anytime after you graduate eighth grade, to the time you enter college, uh, if, you, if your family is moving, anytime during that period, you qualify for a college scholarship through the Moving Families Foundation. Um, it doesn't matter what socioeconomic uh, background you come from. It doesn't matter if your mom and dad are poor. It doesn't matter if your mom and dad are rich. You know, it, it doesn't matter. It's for the kids. And if there's a kid moving and, and they're in high school, they qualify for a scholarship. We have single parent assistance. If you're a single parent going through a move, um, there's a lot we can do, not just for the kids, but we can write, like, <laughs> check this out. We can write a two-year life insurance policy on that single parent. So God forbid anything should happen to that single parent. There's something for the kids to fall back on, at least monetarily. You know what I mean? Um, so when I found out what these folks at the Moving Families Foundation do, I said, you know, I got to get involved with that. So that's the foundation, the Moving Families Initiative. The foundation, by the way, is a bona fide 501c3 nonprofit. There ain't a dime of profit, you know, going anywhere. The Moving Families Initiative is really our fundraising arm, if that's what you want to call it. It's how we make money to fund the foundation. And we do that by um, being a referral, a go-between between sellers of homes and real estate agents and other buyers. So folks contact us. They let us know that they need to sell or need to relocate. We get them a moving families initiative preferred real estate agent who walks them through the entire process. You do nothing. You can go to sleep if you want. Our folks just take care of everything. And these moving families preferred agents have agreed to give us, you know, X portion of their uh, commission. And we, boom, that's where we put it in right into the foundation. So it's really our for-profit side that funds the foundation.
that you and why do we want to and why do we want to get kids involved in their extracurricular activity because we find out that it's easier for a child to assimilate back into this new community to find new friends who have the same um, interests that they do if there if there's another kid in that same class guess what this is a possible friend that this 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 new kid into this community could make. And so we found out that extracurricular activities, sports, whatever it is, is really a great way for kids to get uh, newly involved in, in their new community. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great way for, for peace of mind for the, the parents that are moving too. I know when I was growing up and, you know, my mom was, was moving us around a little bit. It was stressful for her just to, you know, are we, are we getting acclimated? Are we comfortable where we are? So just, Helping right. the kids do, you know, get that, that comfort level, I'm sure is helping the entire family. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I guess the, the next question would be the, you know, that initiative is amazing. I don't know how, uh, how much, uh, I guess people take advantage of it. How can people, um, you know, reach out to the initiative? Um, should that be something that they're interested in or, or, or a real estate agent too? Same way for, for, for all involved, movingfamiliesinitiative.com, movingfamiliesinitiative.com. Click on contact me up in the navigation bar. Give them a little bit of info, info on yourself, you know, your name, your telephone number, whatever. Somebody's going to call you immediately and they're going to be able to talk you through what you can qualify for. How can we help you? How can we help your kids that are involved? Um, you know, do you, do you have a home to sell? Do you need another one in another community? Do you need another one maybe of a uh, uh, cheaper expense in the same community? It doesn't matter. Um, we'll find it. Are you selling out of one home and, 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 and maybe because of the pandemic, you can't afford a new home, but you need to rent now? We can help you with that. There's so much going on. And it's like I said, it's the same sign up, whether you, you want to use our services or whether you're a real estate agent who wants to get involved in helping others movingfamiliesinitiative.com. Thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing thing. So, so how can people reach out to you or, or connect um, to rich fields? Uh, you can always email me. I'm at rich at richfields.tv, rich at richfields.tv. It's been the same email I've had since day one of the prices, right? And it still works. Still works. Very good. <laughs> Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. You know, I never know exactly what stories I'm going to get or exactly what I'm getting myself into when I, when I interview people, but it, it was, it was, it, it was really cool. That's all I can say. My pleasure. I had a great time. Great time with you today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You take care. Okay. And that was my interview with Rich Fields. Hope you enjoyed that one. I know it was just, it was a really cool conversation for me just to, to hear, you know, my name and come on down. That was, that was worth it. Um, just a, a really cool guy and, and just a cool story that we got to see, um, really him, him live out his dream. He always dreamt of being the announcer for The Price is Right. Didn't, didn't imagine that when, when I first started talking to him that, you know, as a child, he dreamt of that. So just that he was able to, to do that was a, a really, really cool thing. Um, just a, a nice guy, and uh, I'm, I'm happy that he decided to join us. Uh, check him out at richfields.tv or with the Moving Families Initiative. Check us out, Instagram, Not Enough Podcast, uh, and at jacksonhuff.com. Thanks so much for being here, and we'll see you next time. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think. 
or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.